have a couple of questions to start out with this morning. Uh, do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? You, yeah, you can answer. That's okay. Do you fully trust him with your life? All right. That's, that's uh, what I want you to consider this morning as we go through our story in John chapter 6. If you're following along, verses 25 to 40. And uh, so what had just happened is Jesus just performed a miracle yesterday. I know we have uh, we have memory loss. Things maybe happened a few years ago, or I mean, we'd say I've slept since then. But really, you can probably remember big things that happened a day ago, right? Well, in this story, these people who are about to ask Jesus some questions and get some information from him, uh, they had just seen Jesus feed five thousand people, five thousand men plus women and children, uh, with five pieces of or loaves of bread and two small fish. All right, so it was very clear that it was a miracle that Jesus had performed, and these people saw that. Then, throughout the night, Jesus walked on water. To be fair to these people, uh, they did not see that. His followers saw that, but the ones who were asking the questions today did not see that, but they did just see a miracle yesterday. Very important to remember. So John 6, beginning at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? All right, so I don't know if you've ever had someone ask you a question and you, you just completely ignore it. I, I think it happens with kids sometimes. Like, they're, hey, uh, are, we, are we going? And you completely ignore the question. At least I do this sometimes. And I say, hey, just put your shoes on, right? Like, if, we'll get to the answer eventually if we would only uh, um, just do what we're supposed to do. <laughs> well, Jesus kind of does that here. They, they asked him, hey, when did you get here? Not how did you get here, but, I mean, they, they didn't know that either. But they asked him, when did you get here? And he completely ignores uh, their, uh, <laughs> their question and, uh, and tells them what they need to know. He says, verse 26, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. How much more blunt could he be? He didn't say, hey, are you trying to find me because you watched me perform a miracle and you think I'm amazing and you think I'm, I'm from God or I am God? No, he didn't even ask him. He just said, you're just looking for me because I fed you and you want more bread. You're, you're still hungry. Why are you a Christian? I think that's an important question that, that we have to answer. Why am I a Christian? If it's because things have gone well, Maybe I, I grew up and, and things just went well uh, as, uh, as uh, living as a Christian. Or maybe you weren't a Christian, and then you became a Christian, and things got better. That, that's probably true. I mean, I mean, it doesn't mean uh, life uh, is perfect. We have, uh, we have things that, that are bothering us still, maybe. But uh, if you follow God, if you follow Jesus' example, if you accept His grace and His mercy and His love, then yeah, you could probably say, well, I'm a Christian because it's, it's better for me. It's worked for me. But that same answer might be the answer that keeps someone from becoming a Christian. Because what if they say, well, I gave it a shot and it didn't work for me, or my life didn't get better, or I, I tried, to, tried to obey Jesus and follow his example, and it just made everything more difficult. See, that can't be the only answer. It doesn't mean that it's not one of the answers, but as you'll see in this story, it can't be about us. It can't be about the people. 
It has to start with who Jesus is. So uh, verse 27 then, Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. All right, now he's speaking our language. He says, do not work for this, but instead work for this. That makes sense to us. You, you work for something that you want. If, if you want something uh, uh, given to you, I, I guess, or if you just want something, you, you work for it. Nothing's, uh, nothing's free out there. There's no handouts. You might be thinking, well, there's actually a lot of handouts right now. But the truth is we know that if there is a handout, someone has to pay at some point. That's kind of like with our faith. If, if something's given to us, there's a cost. Well, the difference between uh, maybe some uh, handouts that we feel in life, whether it's with the, with the government or with our families or friends, you know, people give you something, it costs them. Well, in our faith, it's already been paid for in full. Jesus already paid for our salvation, but I don't know if we, uh, if we always believe that. I don't know if we always actually believe that Jesus is the, the Savior of the world completely, because if we did, we would not leave here the same. So going on in this, in this story, we see the same questions that we probably ask and some of the same thoughts that we have. They ask Jesus then, what must we do to do the works God requires? Now, we have to have a reason for being here. We have to have a purpose. We're not just going to go through and do nothing. And so the question they ask is, what works do we have to perform to receive this food every day? Maybe they already worked and, and they thought, well, I'm not earning enough. Or I work very hard, but I still can't provide for my family. And so the question they ask Jesus is, then what do I have to do on a regular basis to get this food that you're offering every day? Fair question. So Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's it. They asked the question in the plural sense, what works? What's the list? You know, what's the job description that you want me to do as a Christian, and then, and then you'll feed me? They probably didn't say as a Christian, but following God. He answered in a singular sense that doesn't even feel like work. Does it feel like work just to believe in Jesus? But he tells them that's it. You're asking about what you have to do to get this bread, but I'm telling you, just believe in me. Just believe in Jesus. That's it. And so they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now this is almost laughable. Now remember, when did he perform a miracle in front of these people? Yesterday. Just happened. And they say, what sign will you, will you show us so that we can trust that, that we can, we'll have this bread every day? The, you'll take care of us. We want a sign. Really, they don't. See, they, they do what we do sometimes. We ask the, the questions like, hey, where, where, where did you get here? But really, we want to know something else. Uh, but we don't want to just flat out say, hey, Jesus, I know you can give us bread, so I, I need you to do that for me. They won't, they won't be honest with him. They won't be blunt. So if they're not going to be honest, then Jesus is going to uh, try to get them to think a little bit more about this. They had this old ulterior motive, and they tried to disguise it, but then it just slipped out. They said, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. 
As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Just slipped out. We want to follow you, Jesus, because we want more bread. We want something. What if the bread stopped? (laughs) They're not showing up. Their motives came out. Now, there is definitely some good in this. Uh, as, as Christians, we are trusting God. We're trusting Him to provide. They, they look to Jesus as the one who could provide. This is a great start. They, they look to Him as someone who could give them exactly what they needed. They just didn't know what it was yet. And so it has to start there, but can't stop there. That was the issue here. So Jesus said to him, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There was first a a little correction. He says, Moses isn't the one who provided the bread. God did. God the Father. And then he makes a big correction. He says, actually, let's let's just cut to the chase here. It's not about bread. It was never about bread. It's about something bigger. It's about trusting that God will provide for us that we can fully trust Him with our wants, or with our needs. Not our wants, sorry. If it was, uh, if it was about what we wanted, uh, it would never be enough. I mean, we, we all know this. There's, there's always something. Um, the Israelites, the people who were, uh, they, they had been uh, freed from slavery, and then they were wandering in the desert, and they needed someone to provide for them. And through Moses, God provided bread. Every single day they woke up, there was bread on the ground to eat. They didn't have to go hunting. They didn't have to plant it. They, it was just there, except for the Sabbath. But uh, the day before the Sabbath, there was twice as much. And so they had their provisions every single day. And you know, if I'm in slavery and my parents were in slavery for 400 years, everyone that we knew, they were in slavery and we're freed now. And, and we're going somewhere, to, we're going to a promised land. And, and God's providing for us. Doesn't this sound familiar? feels like sometimes uh, our lives, things don't always go well. Things didn't really go that well for our parents and our grandparents. And yeah, well, they got by, they survived, but did they truly live? Did, are we truly living? Maybe. I'm not trying to answer that for our, for our descendants, but are we getting through life and just surviving? Or are we living? Because the Israelites, they had their needs provided for, and they were going towards something better. We're going towards something better. We have the hope of eternity because of Jesus. And so knowing that, you, you would think that all of us, we would be content with what we have, that we would be trying to lead others to the same hope. But you know, just like the Israelites, you know what they said when they had the bread every single day? Can we have some meat? It was never enough. Just like with them, just like with us, God, if you would provide shelter, if you would, if you would provide food and clean water and medicine, if I only had my needs met, and I would be a generous person. I would be loving to others. And I wouldn't worry about uh, just getting more and more for the future. I would, I would think about you. And I would think about people. We're the same way. We want, we want more. We want better. Because then all of a sudden I have a house and, and I have a car. Transportation wasn't even in there. It is now. So, but now, God, I need, I need a bigger house. I mean, you gave me a shelter, but come on. I mean, one bathroom. It's kind of tough, actually. But we just always think that we need more. And then all of a sudden, our basic needs, uh, now it's transportation. And now it's Wi-Fi. 
oh, you have to have that, right? And, and we, need, we need smartphones, and, and I have these things, so I'm, I'm not any different. I'm just saying, at what point do we, do we stop making it about ourselves and getting more, and we start to use our lives for others? Because after it becomes bigger and more, then all of a sudden when you have everything, and you, you think, I just can't get any more, then it becomes comfort and control. I don't have, I, there's nothing else I can pursue, so now I want power. I read this story about a guy named Harold Bales, a preacher in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, uh, and he uh, went across the street every Sunday morning and got the homeless people and brought them over and fed them breakfast, and, uh, and they sat in church. Well, they, they didn't bathe, and they, they, maybe, they, maybe they smelled a little bit. And so one lady who went to the church her whole life, she, she came up to him one Sunday and said, hey, do we have to have them here in church with us? I mean, maybe she wanted to start another service, I'm not really sure, but she didn't want them in, in service with him, and, and she said, why do they have to come to church with us? He said, well, uh, I, I just don't want to see, I don't want to see anyone go to hell. And she said, well, I don't want to see them to go to, uh, go to hell either. He said, well, I'm not talking about them, I'm talking about you. Yeah, I wasn't really sure if that was a joke or a serious story. But at some point, we have to realize it's not about us. It's not about me. And this is uh, something that all of us have to grasp at some point. And so, finally, we get to the part in the story. Uh, this is the turning point. They just, they come out and say what they want. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. This is the, a turning point in their story, and this, I think, is the turning point in our lives. If we would make a statement like this, they were honest. They were brutally honest. Instead of saying, hey, I know you're an amazing person. I know you're of God. I know you can do these things. They just finally flat out said, I am following you because I want something out of it. And this is when Jesus taught them the most meaningful lesson. Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day." For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Up until this point, it was about uh, surviving, about getting what you need, your basic needs, to get to tomorrow, the bread of life. He used a similar illustration about being the water, the living water. Do we need food and water? Yes. But I asked those questions at the beginning, because I have this question to follow up is, do we need Jesus? Do we actually need him? Uh, I know I need food and water to survive, but do I need him? And if I don't think that I actually need him, then he's not going to be first. If I know that I need so much uh, to live on the rest of my life, then, then I'm going to be worried about getting, uh, living the next, um, I'm 35, maybe 50, 55 years, maybe five years, I don't know. But that's going to be my number one priority, is surviving. And Jesus tells them, you say these are needs, but I have a bigger need for you. 
And if I don't believe that Jesus is a need, if I think he's an extra, if I think he's an add-on, if I say to each his own, that's my faith but not yours, if I don't need him, then you don't need him, and your neighbor doesn't need him, and your children don't need him, and your friends don't need him, it would be nice if maybe they, they uh, learned who he was. But if I don't actually think that he's a need, then he's not a priority for me. He's not, if he's not, if he's not a, a need, then I might share my faith with someone. And I, I struggle with this, and I, I know we all do. We, we don't make our, we don't, you talk to people, you know what people's top priorities are. We know we're always thinking about uh, surviving, we're thinking about meeting our needs, our kids' needs, the future, our parents' needs. I mean, we, we have these kind of thoughts, and those are all fair. But do I believe that Jesus is a need? And so Jesus says, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Now, some people think, this means uh, eternal security, that you can never lose your faith, that you grew up in Sunday school and you were baptized as a teenager and now you're, you're good to go for the rest of your life and you can worry about your needs and, and you're covered. But that's, that's, uh, there's an issue here, though. The word translated here, all, it looks like all, every person. It's actually singular. It's, it's not plural as we would think. This is the collective group of the people, all the people who are looking to Jesus. He's trying to tell them that this is not a want. This is not an extra. This has to happen. This is a need. He says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. That's comforting. That's our eternal security. If you believe in Jesus, if you're looking to Him, He'll raise you up into the eternal life. Now, do you want your loved one to be included in this? I, I know, I can think of people that I'm not sure if they're looking to him or not. But if I knew that there was someone I loved that didn't have food, what would I give them? Food. They need it, right? They need it to survive. They need it to live. If I knew someone who needed water or they were going to die, what would I give them? You know the answer. If I know that someone needs Jesus to live, to have a fulfilling life now, and to have eternal life, what would I give him? What would I give her? I know it's hard. Sometimes people don't want to listen. They reject us over and over. But I just can't imagine if I believed that this was a need, if I believed Jesus was a need, that I wouldn't do anything to try to, to, try to share that gospel, that hope with that person. We can't give up. These people uh, in this story, they're wanting their urgent needs met. And the truth is there are, there are urgent needs. You can't share the gospel someone if, if, with someone if they're dead. Like Sometimes we have to meet physical needs as well. And I think about all the people who are, who are dying because they don't have uh, clean water and medicine and clean food. It's not usually here. It's not me. It's probably not you. I mean, you're here. And so when this metaphor is unpacked, though, it means that Jesus is the true satisfaction. It's not about physical needs. But we have to meet needs. So my, my question then, when I read this is, what would it look like if everyone were full? What would it look like if everyone were, were satisfied? And, uh, physically full, every, every physical need met, and spiritually full. Because that's where we're at. That's where I'm at sometimes. I don't, I don't always feel full. 
Sometimes I come up here and I read the, this text and, and, I, and I preach and I study it and I think, man, I'm missing that. Some, sometimes these questions that I ask you that it sounds like, well, these are rhetorical questions. When we really think about it, when I really think about it, I don't always know if, uh, if my answer, if I'm living the answer that I'm saying. It's the growing process for all of us. And so what would it look like if everyone were truly satisfied? Matthew 4, 2, Jesus was fasting. For 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So he had a physical need. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus was focusing more on living than surviving. Although one seems more urgent, Jesus knew that the other one was necessary. It was just as important. And if we lived this way, and everyone lived this way, and everyone was satisfied, I think this world would be better. We want to make the world better in, in the way that we want it to be, but really if we would just follow Jesus, I think it would, it would get that way. But it comes down to trust. So I read this story in a book called Jesus is Greater Than Religion by Jefferson Bethke. And this is about that trust. It says, I heard a story a while back about some friends who went swimming in a river. It was spring and the glacier runoff had made the river pretty dangerous. Nonetheless, one of the guys jumped in, got caught in the current, and was taken to the dangerous part of the rapids. One of his friends on the shore was a lifeguard and all the other friends looked at him to do something. He just stood there, though, not moving, just staring at his friend. The others began to panic and yell at him and tell him to go save his friend. Still nothing. They looked out into a river and saw their friends struggling desperately. In an instant, though, the struggle stopped. He could no longer fight and began to drown. When that happened, the lifeguard jumped in and with a few swift strokes rescued the friend and brought him to shore. With the adrenaline wearing off, the group yelled at the lifeguard, Why didn't you jump in earlier? He could have died. He calmly looked at them and said, I had to wait until he fully gave up. Unless he stopped fighting, he would have dragged me under and drowned me with him. But the minute he gave up, I could save him. That's what it's like with Jesus. He just wants us to surrender. And when we do, he comes and gets us. The waves might be crashing overhead, but in that moment when it looks like we might die, his grace scoops us up and brings us life. And because we finally give up, we know it was him who did the saving. It's funny how life works, this idea of working. We have this idea in life that if I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to work very hard. I'm going to try to cover, I'm, I'm going to try to cover uh, 70%. And I know I'm going to fall short. I know that there's this idea of grace, and Jesus is going to cover the next 30%. But, you know, maybe someone doesn't do that well, and they can only cover 10%. But then grace. So Jesus comes in, and he covers the other 90%. It's a good idea. That's not how it works. Now, whether you think you can cover 99% or you think you're worthless and you only cover 1%, Jesus covers 100% no matter what. We can't go through life thinking that we work for something, that there's works that, re that we're required to, to experience this life. Jesus says, stop thinking about the works. You, you can't do enough. You don't need to try. One thing, believe in the one that God sent. 
believe in Jesus. That's all we do. That's when we feel this life. But when we truly do it, not when we do it because we want something, but when we look to who Jesus is, then we experience this. When we, when we fully understand in our limited minds who Jesus is. So as we go into communion, I want to read a, a little bit more of this story, uh, starting at verse 46, that I think it helps us to understand. Every week we take communion and we want this reminder. And so we're going to read this, and I think that we'll start to at least grasp a little bit more what we're looking to. So John 6, 46, no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. They had all their needs provided for. Yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. When we start to look to Jesus, not as the one who meets our needs, not as just the example to follow, but when we can answer the question that we believe he is fully the Savior of the world and there's nothing that we have to do, there's nothing our, our neighbors have to do, there's nothing our, our children have to do except believe in him. When we get to that point, then it's a need. We, if the only way to, to heaven, the only way to have this life is to believe in Jesus, it's a need now. That's where we have to be. That's the reminder that we have every week when we take communion that Jesus gave his life for us. We are, when we are satisfied, when we're full of Jesus, then it's not about surviving. It's about living. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us life on earth. As much as uh, sometimes it feels like it's uh, more work than, than joy, more pain than pleasure, more emptiness than fulfillment, we know that's not because of you. That's because of us, that we, that we don't look to you, that we don't uh, consume Jesus in the way that you want us to, that we don't look to him and trust him fully, but we always seem to go back to what, what gets us to the next day. But God, in this story, in the words of Jesus, uh, you've revealed to us that if we would simply make you the most important, that we would, that we would uh, allow um, our hearts to be overtaken by this concept of salvation through you alone, uh, that the, this world would change around us globally, uh, and not just now, but forever. And so give us the motivation, give us the words and the wisdom and the courage uh, to share this love, this truth that you sent Jesus to die for our sins, and through him we have hope. Uh, give us the wisdom to share this and to live this. Thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen.